Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I've got uh, my trusty sidekick, Dan Peisner, CMI, with me. Hi, Dan. Hey there, Andy. Dan, it's a little dreary there in Dallas. Well, that's the, such is the weather of January. We'll be in the 70s by Friday and in the 30s by Saturday. Well, we're not too much difference here in St. George, and really not much difference yesterday in uh, Los Angeles when I was down there. Uh, everywhere is kind of rainy and cold. So it's a good time to be talking about sales tax. Nothing else to do, right? But of course. So Dan, uh, right off the top, I think we need to alert everybody to the situation in New York. They just announced on apparently on their website yesterday uh, that their Wayfair law was effective immediately after Wayfair was issued back in June of 2018. So uh, walk us through what New York is trying to do. Certainly, Andy. As you I said, say trying to do they, what New York is has done, I should say. Well, apparently, New York had uh, had, had tucked away in a law one of their statutes, a, uh, a an economic nexus provision, whereby if you exceeded three hundred thousand dollars in gross sales, and and this is this is a distinction from a lot of the other states, and a hundred individual transactions within a uh, 12, essentially a 12-month period, then you were considered to have nexus and had to begin collecting and reporting sales tax. And the structure that New York is using is uh, when, when you exceed it over the span of four quarters. Now, important to note, New York does not use calendar quarters. They use, they're on a, a fiscal year. So their fiscal year begins with March 1st, and runs through February 28th or 29th, depending on whether you're in a leap year. Uh, and, and what New York effectively said is that, the, that uh, immediately following Wayfair, that their law went into effect. What they have declined to say is if there is any kind of delayed enforcement on this, if there's any date in the future, uh, what people sh- if people need to report back tax, they've given virtually no guidance on it other than it became immediately effective and, if any, and that people should register. Left unsaid or unreported is why it took New York six months to say anything about this, alert anybody to their laws, or other, otherwise assist people in complying. So uh, as you can imagine, uh, those of us in the, the uh, consulting and, and preparation fields are scrambling to figure out what is going on. Well, that's New York for you. New York is super aggressive. And uh, so I, we have certain questions about this, but the fact that it's left unsaid means that uh, on audit, they will, they will enforce it as of the day that the decision was issued, I think, when that New York shows no mercy in these types of things typically. I agree. And unless either the, the department comes out with an additional clarification or an or the, the legislature moves in and decides to do something, being the New York legislature, or on the, uh, on the rare, 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 rare chance that, that this actually spurs Congress to do anything, uh, this is going to be, unless any of those three things happen, this is what we're going to be uh, stuck with dealing with. Yeah, so the, the second thing that, that really worries me for... Uh, 
businesses that have customers in New York. So remember, under Wayfair, it's not about necessarily about where you have locations. It's that that still creates nexus for you, but now it's about where do you have customers. And so New York's law is slightly different from the South Dakota law. It's a little the thresholds are a little higher. So you said it was three hundred thousand in sales over the previous four quarters, and how many transactions? A hundred, right? And one hundred, correct. So that's a, that's both. You have to have both of those criteria to make it, uh, which is different from South Dakota, which said uh, two hundred transactions or one hundred thousand in sales. So New York is three hundred thousand in transactions and 100 sales. So you could make New York could make an argument that hey we're being, you know, more lenient than we could have been. However, uh, what I'm sharing with you on the screen here for those of you who are uh, attending by video and not just listening, but these links we'll put in our show notes for the podcast um, is New York's website where you can go to report tax fraud. And I really hate that terminology for sales tax because to me, fraud is, uh, you know, you, you put tax on your invoice and you, you're not even registered in the state and you just take that money and put it in your pocket. That's fraud where you are deliberately uh, defrauding the state of New York. You are acting as their agent to collect their tax and you don't send it in. But New York has this really uh, broad definition of what constitutes fraud, and it's very chilling because failing to file a tax return is considered tax evasion and fraud. Uh, failing to remit monies collected, okay, that makes sense. Uh, but it goes beyond that, and it's super simple to, to report it. If you just click on this link, then it will ask you to uh, – Oh, I have this open another browser, so uh, I don't know where I have that open. But anyway, you, you just enter whatever information you know. It's totally anonymous, and the state will uh, offers to pay you a bounty fee. Uh, what was it, Dan, 15 to 25% of the amount settled when settled? Yes. So um, I, I want to share with you just a couple of of uh, situations where this has actually happened. So let me share. Um, a lot of people know about my pillow, and I've written about my pillow in uh, on LinkedIn right here uh, about here's how you can make a lot of money uh, without having to do any work at all. Right? You could go sweep a parking lot, or hey, how about that? Uh, let's just report people to New York, and so. Uh, the attorney general, this is in 2016, announced a big settlement with um, with uh, uh, my pillow. And under uh, under this settlement, they alleged that my pillow had failed to collect five hundred fifty thousand dollars in sales taxes. I recall the number. No, five thirty seven. Right? They'd failed to collect that. So this. This is a situation that many, many e-commerce sellers uh, would find themselves in, that they have, they didn't think they had to collect sales tax in New York. So even that terminology is, is not very pleasant, you know, 
to say that you failed to collect it. But then to make this next extension, it's really what I wrote, wrote about, uh, is that that's now fraud because the attorney, and you get the attorney general that, uh, you know, using all those resources, knowingly made false records or statements. Oh, goodness. Uh, that is really, really scary. And so the, the way the New York statute works is <clears throat> if you're found to have failed to do this, then uh, you owe not only the tax that you should have collected, but you owe three times that amount, treble damages. So uh, in this case, the, the my pillow in a very public settlement settled for $1.1 million. And to me, that's just... There was a legitimate question whether they should have collected New York sales tax, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know all the facts. They're not a client of ours. But it's it's bone-chilling to me um, because, you know, I own a business, and, uh, you know, it's hard to stay on top of, of every possible thing you should be doing. And now you're, be, you're being called a fraud because you didn't know you should be collecting sales tax on pillows in New York. And not only do you have to pay the tax that you fail to collect from your customers, but three times that amount. And what, what I think is uh, really chilling is <clears throat> what the, now this is the publication of the New York attorney general. They say under the false claims act, whistleblowers may be eligible to receive up to 30% of any money. Uh, Dan was reading the statute and it was, it says 15 to 25. So anyway, somewhere in there, um, but in this case, the whistleblower, who may have been just somebody who got a quick idea and said, hey, I wonder if my pillow, who advertises a lot, <clears throat> I wonder if they're charging sales tax in New York. And if they're not, I'm going to report them. Well, for that 15 minutes of quote-unquote work to enter the information in a, on a spreadsheet, on a uh, website, uh, the whistleblower gets 221800 So... Uh, here you have it. That is the website right here uh, where you go. And in just a few minutes, you could be making uh, 200 and some thousand dollars for a quarter hour's worth of work, which puts you a billion rate at about, uh, what is that, a million dollars per hour, Dan. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Uh, on the, for the pocketbook, good. Uh, I don't Knowing after after uh, working with clients for so long, I don't know how I would live with myself if I did something like that. No, that is just – so there was another – one of the first big cases to come out of this was Sprint. And I wanted to share with you, uh, back in 2012, uh, I wrote on a blog, and Ryan will post the link in the show notes and you can read about this. I wrote a long article because this just really, really chaps me um, to, about Sprint. And Sprint's not a client of ours. Uh, I'm not a customer of theirs. But this whole idea of whistleblowers, um, you know, getting a 30%, 25% for, um, you know, reporting companies. In this case, you know, I write a lot about how difficult it is for uh, telecom companies to uh, to even collect the right amount of tax, the law is uh, really uh, gray, and it's easy to miss this. So 
Uh, in 2012, the Attorney General Schneiderman of New York announced that they were suing Sprint for $300 million uh, of treble damages. So that's, it was $100 million of unpaid tax or undercollected tax, and uh, Sprint was being sued for $300 million. That was 2012. I wrote a lot about it. I was very upset about it. It just bothers me. And then uh, potentially a 25% bounty. Uh, but you, know, you really have to think about this. Is, is, is this really what the state government should be doing? They're saying, hey, they're defrauding our uh, businesses, our, our schools in New York of taxes. Well, wait a minute. They're saying that Sprint under collected $100 million of sales tax, right? Dan, see if, I, if this makes sense. They're, they're suing Sprint for under-collecting $100 million and saying you should have collected, you should have made our citizens pay more sales tax. And since you didn't make our citizens pay more sales tax on their phone bills in New York, we're going to sue you. If you under-collected by $100 million, you gave our citizens a $100 million break, for giving them a break of $100 million in sales tax, we're going to sue you for $300 million. I mean, is that outrageous? Well, for me, I, I think that is a little crazy. And I also think it's crazy that they've, if, if they made a tax that's so complicated that a company with the technological resources of Sprint, who literally built the telecom network, uh, can't, is, ha- is having trouble enough reporting the tax. And for, for my part, and, and I do a lot of audit defense, I've, I've got, I've, I've been getting the feeling and, and especially talking to other practitioners in the field, a lot of the states are really throwing the word fraud around where there's no fraud. They, it's, you're, you're guilty until proven innocent almost. And it's really, right. that, that's something that really does, that offends me because the, while I'm not an attorney with, with, the, with fraud, there's always got to be some kind of intent proven. Uh, oh, I don't like it. Right. And that, that's what I wrote about. This, this is what really bothers me is, uh, is they're saying that Sprint committed fraud. And so here's what I said. To prove fraud here, the attorney general had to twist this into a scheme in which Sprint made a conscious and deliberate decision to undercharge the tax. Maybe not to enrich themselves on actual taxes because they didn't, they didn't collect it, right? So it's not that they collected tax and put it on their, in their pocket. But so this is what they kind of twisted around. It was all an elaborate scheme by Sprint to give themselves a competitive advantage against other carriers. Now, this is really a stretch because if we do the numbers, okay, so uh, the New York Attorney General's office had to say, okay, granted, it's not like they put this $100 million in their pocket because they didn't charge it. But really what they were doing is trying to give themselves a competitive advantage against AT&T and Verizon, et cetera. But let's really think about this because uh, if you just talk in round numbers, let's say the combined state and local rate is in New York is 8%. That means the total tax on the monthly fee would be about $3.20, right? $3.20 on a, like a $40 bill. If Sprint taxed the total bill, but they only tax 75%, so they collect, that's what the, is alleged in this lawsuit. They should have collected 100%, they collected 75%. So they collected $2.40 instead of $3.20. 
So what New York is alleging is that Sprint deliberately defrauded the state to give itself a competitive advantage over other carriers, and that competitive advantage was that they could that if you really analyzed your bill, if you were comparing AT&T and Sprint, it wouldn't be about the plans that they offer, the data, et cetera. It would be about, okay, let me look at your taxes. Oh, wait, AT&T is charging me three twenty, and you're saying you're going to charge me two $2.40, $2.40, $0.80 less? I'm in, Sprint. Dan, is that reasonable? Not at all. There's, there's not a telecom company out there that advertises on a post-tax basis. Um, it's hard enough to calculate the taxes that you're, you're supposed to charge on these things for various reasons. But I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I think it was ridiculous. I, I, I'm really I sympathetic to like the tax department because just imagine how these things happen. I mean, all these carriers are coming out with new plans all the time. And so they go to the tax department and say, hey, I need you to tell me what's the tax going to be on this plan. So someone has to do a bunch of research. How do they even know what the other carrier's plans are going to be? And how do they know, hey, look, AT&T is going to charge 320 If we do this right, we can charge 240 I mean, $2.40 to the average customer versus $3.20. You really think in the tax department they're, they're scheming to how they can compete better against AT&T? I, I find that very, very hard to believe. And Dan, we, we do a lot of work with uh, cable TV providers and, you know, purchases of telecom service. And, you know, this is stuff is complicated. Think of all the taxes that telecom providers have to be on top of. Uh, I just went to the New York State Public Service Commission website, and I see uh, all these taxes, state and local sales tax, federal excise tax, E911, public safety communications, municipal surcharge, New York State gross revenue tax surcharge, FCC versus FCC subscriber line charge, federal universal USF recovery charge, MTA tax, local number portability, uh, New York City franchise, and more. Is so, it a wonder that landlines are disappearing? I mean, you you have these the tax departments that have to come up with the you know how are we going to tax this, and then they get nailed for fraud. And just on the announcement of this lawsuit. The, the company Sprint, I was just looking when I wrote this article back in 2012, it's all coming back to me. They lost $500 million in market value when the attorney general announced that they were suing uh, Sprint. I mean, it's, it's, it's staggering. So this all kind of, you know, I never heard much more about Sprint after writing this article. It just, it went away. Now, Dan, uh, now let me just tell, tell you, uh, what what's happened because as of December of this year, December 21st, 2018, I think that's where I was reading this. Um, Sprint, I think Sprint is headquartered in, in Kansas city, right? Uh, they announced that they settled the New York sales tax lawsuit. Remember they were being sued for 300 million. They mm-hmm. settled it for 330. I mean, a lot of times you get sued for some ridiculous number and you settle for like 10% of it, right? No, every time we see this, they're, they're settling for like more than the original lawsuit amount. And you have, yeah. you're, you're suspicious of the timing on this. Yeah, the, uh, I, 
from the the articles we'd been reading before, Sprint was pretty gung ho on this. I mean, they've been this case has gone on for a long time, consumed hours, man hours, legal fees. I'm a little suspicious when this gets settled this close to when T-Mobile's trying to close with Sprint and get all kinds of regulator approvals, and that maybe maybe the same attorney general that has that that has to sign off uh, on on there not being a uh, uh, an antitrust risk uh, is also has a three hundred million dollar lawsuit out. Then suddenly that's that's uh, settlement leverage. Uh, I'm not saying that that's been officially said anywhere. That's just an that's the suspicion. Is, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, on the on behalf of businesses, I just find this I don't know reprehensible. I just think it's terrible. I, I hate this quote, you know, by Barbara Underwood. Sprint knew exactly how New York sales tax law applied to its plans. Oh, really? Oh, really? I'd love, you know, Barbara Underwood, I'd love for her to, to analyze New York's own laws with regards to telecom companies with customers going from state to state. The ambiguity is, is ridiculous. And for her to say Sprint knew exactly how New York sales tax law applied to its plans, yet for years the company flagrantly broke the law cheating the state and its localities out of tax dollars that should have been invested in our communities. Oh, I just, I don't know. Now it turns out how much money did the whistleblower get? It's right here. The whistleblower gets $62.7 million. Uh, I think it would be very interesting to see Exactly who this is, uh, Dan? Did you you found the name of the company, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was Empire State Ventures. Yeah, I'd I'd love to know who the principals are in that company, and if they had any connection to Eric Schneiderman. Uh, I would guess. Uh, who knows? Who knows? But it's really, really, uh, to me, as a tax professional trying to help businesses it's alarming to say the least uh, let me give so that's the latest one here's another one uh, this was a uh, New York tax whistleblower case Re this is in 2017 so my pillow 2016 uh, this one 40 million in 2017 and this is an Alabama-based company Harbert management involved a brazen and deliberate decision to avoid pay, paying millions of taxes owed in the state. All right, based, I know nothing about what Harbert Management Corporation is all about, but based on my pillow and what I know about them, and, and I know how complicated it is for a company like Sprint, uh, it looks like this case is an income tax case, and income tax and apportionment and business income uh, that's that's a gray area. I have a hard time believing that it wasn't a gray area. But anyway, they got reported, and the state recovered $40 million. And guess what? A whistleblower who remains anonymous got $8.8 .8 million. Dan, if you don't care about your um, personal you know, reputation and you want, you don't care if you sleep very well at night, uh, I guess you could just turn companies in left and right and look for that 25, 30% bounty fee because they're paying it. 
Yeah, I've it. I'm honestly, I've I've never been a fan of these whistleblower programs. Uh, I've I feel like tax is as many gray tax issues as we've been involved in, and and as complicated as multi-state taxation is. States all wave a wand and pretend like they exist in a vacuum, and that their statute should be the easiest thing to follow. But when you're having to follow 50 different laws, all with very specific, all with specific legislative histories, and you're deemed from the second you set foot in that state to know every law, statute, regulation, uh, everything that's related to you. Uh, I find that I, I find that there's there's a lot of reasonable mistakes that get made and reasonable oopses, and that this that. While there there is some there's legitimate fraud out there, sure, but this putting up attaching a payday to finding it results in a lot of honest companies getting, uh, if if not earnest key tam suits, you you run into. We've talked to clients that have had just just um, uh, the equivalent of patent trolls. We'll call them key tam trolls that just send notices out finding people that aren't collecting sales tax due to honest nexus mistakes and, and trying to hit them up with settlement, uh, hitting them up for settlements to keep them from, from filing cases. And that's just that I find that contrary to how these are things are supposed to be done. So, yeah. So that's the danger, you know, New York, it's, it's, it's much more than just poor management and uh, not caring about taxpayers. Uh, It's a potential of opening up, such a huge um, exposure for companies because of these whistleblower uh, false claims act potential in New York. So New York yesterday publishes this notice says, Oh yeah, this, if you had over a hundred transactions or 300,000 in sales in our state, uh, then you should have been collecting sales tax effective June, 2018. And here we are in January, uh, 2019 uh, and now you're probably going to see a bunch of false claims acts uh, issued against a bunch of online sellers, unfortunately. So uh, online sellers need to be particularly at- attentive to this and probably get going in New York as soon as possible uh, if they meet these thresholds. And then tax advisors, CPAs, bookkeepers, it's just another reason to just pay attention, to help your clients evaluate where they have nexus, uh, pay particular attention to the big states. California announced that it's coming up this year. Texas announced they'll start their program this year in October. California's uh, April, right, Dan? Yes. And now New York announced yesterday that it started uh, six months ago. So, yep. No word. No word from Florida yet. All right. So we're in 31 states right now. Uh, these uh, the the Wayfair laws are in place in 31 states and looking to increase that number constantly. So uh, just beware everybody. Um, If you've had, if you have significant sales uh, and you want to try to get going on some sort of voluntary disclosure, uh, Dan, what would voluntary disclosure do here? Uh, If you did a voluntary disclosure in New York before a whistleblower, I know we're not attorneys, but would that, would that prevent someone from doing a whistleblower? Do you think the on the civil side, it's hard to know. However, there is uh, I I believe there is language in the voluntary disclosure agreements 
whereby if you sign it, then that, that will, and the, for the periods you disclose, that will foreclose criminal, any kind of, of uh, a, a attorney general action. I don't know if it would stop the, the key TAM whistleblower, but I don't believe that the attorney general would want to get involved at that point. And if you've already paid the taxes to the state, I don't know that the there would be much of anything left for a uh, a whistleblower to per, to be able to uh, retrieve in court. So I think there is, uh, especially I, I I don't know that there would be a how receptive a, a judge would be to uh, to penalizing somebody when they've already voluntarily come forward. Gotcha. Uh, and all it, right. So uh, that's just something to explore. Uh, if you're in this situation. All right, Dan, that concludes this week's episode. Uh, We'll uh, see you next time. All right. Thanks, Andy.